All right, Sylvia, I cannot believe this. This is ridiculous. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's it's uh, it's up there. It's up there. I mean, I am sitting here on a bed with pillows all around me and blankets. Because, I've got, because, because, well, yes, because, because you I forgot. Because I forgot a cord mm-hmm. that I needed to mm-hmm. record the podcast. I'm doing a, uh, <laughs> going a little family vacation. And um, because I forgot a cord, I'm in a pillow fort. Silent Adam did try nobly to, to send you some uh, rescue gear, but no pigeon nor boat could get it to you in time. So we're going a little yes. rogue. This is all payback for me. Just I, I packed for this trip incredibly late. Like, You're, are you I'm like a notorious you, late packer? Is this your MO? I am. And it's never really been a problem before. Well, you've never had your own podcast before. That's true. I guess I wasn't factoring that in. I wasn't factoring in podcast pack time. Podcast Next pack time, time. Podcast pack time. PPT. TTL PPT. TTL PPT. TTL PPT. TTL PPT for NT. Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I'm joined, as always, by Sylvie LeBeau, my podcast producer extraordinaire. Sylvie, how are you? Ding, 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 ding. I am. (laughs) Air guns. Yeah, air guns work really well on a podcast. Like, you're literally like, boo, 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 boo. But, like, listen, I was trying to. Mostly not having sound effects. You're right. I was trying to get into this intro. With my finger Thank guns. Um, Thank you, Sylvie. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate always the producing out. that you do. Always You're always looking, looking out. You're, there's air guns. There's the winks and stuff. There's nods. Actually, I there's can't like really wait. Direct I can messages. wink. Can you wink? Can you raise an eyebrow? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you can. I cannot mm-hmm. do that. You can't raise an eyebrow? This is me doing <laughs> it. This is only ah. funny for people who can. We're going to have to. You know what's funny? Show we're going to release this part. Yep. Yeah, we're going to have to release we're gonna this, have to. aren't we? Mm-hmm. We are. Yeah, what I'm seeing is two eyebrows. Try it again. I'm seeing two eyebrows kind of furrowing together with like a, maybe, I don't, it doesn't really look like a raise. And then I'm seeing a lot of, <laughs> uh, I mean, you obviously can, you can close one <laughs> eye at a time. I don't know if you can, if that counts as winking. I'm seeing a lot of inadvertent winks as you try <laughs> to give me the people's eyebrow. All right. Well, clearly this has you talking slightly loud. What's got you talking way too loud? Well, I am I'm very excited about our guest on today's show, yes. Ben Rubin, who's the CEO and co-founder of 10% Happier, which is an app and podcast dedicated to mindfulness resources and meditation, stuff like that. But I've known Ben for a while. We went to school together. I was a big fan of his first company and product, which according to his words are like, you know, he didn't. He said massive, massive failure, or he said massive. There was something uh, crash wreck. Massive crash, big wreck. It big, was a big wreck. It was like the Titanic, basically. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> uh, but Ben's the best, so I'm really excited he's on the show. And you know, I'm excited about a light at the end of this insane pandemic. Seems like we can we can see a future in front of us, and we're in this battle currently against the variants. Can people get vaccinated every day to fast enough so that we can like win this battle? I think we can, but I'm, I'm excited that we at least have a good tool in the fight. You know, they, this is better than everyone just like having to just be afraid. 
it's still afraid, but like we have, we have a path out. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of us who are still waiting to get that vaccine, I feel like Ben is going to have some good mindfulness tips for us to deal with the anxiety of the moment. Oh, wow. The podcaster comes back with the transition. Just bring it back to the interview. Nice segue, Sylvie. Really crushing it. Just got to be on the ball today. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's jump into this interview with Ben. What's up, man? Doing doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And you're you're in your office right now. You're just holding yeah. out in there, holding out hope. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we had the uh, good fortune of signing a lease pre-COVID and starting the office build. The aim was the week that COVID hit. So oh, perfect. It uh, it took a little bit of a delay, and you know now that the office is built, I'm the only one that comes into it mostly. But I'm expecting within a a couple weeks or months, this will be a more full space. That is, it's funny that we're in a very similar spot. We had started a build out on a space and we're ready to put everybody into it and so excited. It was like across the street from our old office and we fixed all the problems and blah, 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 blah. There's going to be enough conference rooms. COVID. And so I actually really have not been in there very much. I think we have like two people who go in every day who couldn't really work at home, but I'm optimistic about our future. I'm optimistic about the science of vaccines. It will not be long. It will not be long. Um, well, look, I want to talk about 10% Happier, um, which is an app that's, and podcast. And I'd love if you could just tell our listeners, like, what is 10% Happier? What, what do you all do? Sure. Um, the I'll start with a, just a little on-ramp in terms of how I got there. Um, I My first company, um, you know, which we met over, was a company called Zio, And it was a crashing wreck uh, at the end of the day. Um, and... You know, part part of that was product and customers and market and all those wonderful things. But the the proximate cause of that really was, you know, the co-founders of the business didn't know how to communicate, didn't know how to kind of manage their own emotional state. And so, you know, we were just constantly in conflict with each other, with other people in the business. Um, we weren't able to really listen to customers. And so that experience, you know, was pretty scarring. But at the end of it, the benefit of that, you know, sort of train wreck was that I met an executive coach who introduced me to the concept that I could work on these things and that I could become a, a better entrepreneur, a happier person through lots of different techniques, including meditation. And so it, I was introduced to meditation sort of at the tail end of my last company, took me, you know, quite a few years to actually sort of pick it up and make it a practice that worked for me. And you know, ten percent happier really was designed. You know, in with me and of the me of seven years ago or ten years ago in mind, uh, someone who's a little skeptical, not quite sure what meditation is or what it's for. Um, and you know, our co-founder Dan is a news anchor who famously had a panic attack on TV and kind of went through that journey himself. So it's a really nice on-ramp to and then deepening of an understanding of what mindfulness is and how you can apply it to your life. And so the idea is, if someone is skeptical about meditation, skeptical about mindfulness, but wants an on-ramp into that, you know, maybe they've thought about it, they don't know how to start. So the idea is that 10% happier is a way that someone can do that. Yeah, the sort of internal tagline that we use is relatable wisdom. So it's an entryway into what actually is rather deep wisdom from teachers and traditions that have spent thousands of years 
deeply understanding the human mind and what brings us happiness. And that's a, an area where most people who you know operate in the normal world and go about their day don't have access to. So we provide that access through good storytelling, good hosting, uh, really high quality content and experiences that help you, you know, access that even if you've come from a type A agro business world or, you know, are just a normal person living in the world. Cool. And I want to go back to Zio too, because I mean, obviously you said it was a crashing wreck, which is not great, but I was a user of Zio and Zio came out of Brown, right? Like you guys started mm-hmm. it in school. We both went to Brown and, um, for people who don't know what this is, which I would guess is most people, unfortunately, it was like a headband that you put on that would track your brain waves and tell you when you were indifferent in REM sleep or light That's sleep right. and deep sleep. And then there was an alarm clock that paired with it, and the alarm would go off to wake you up at like a time where you woke up rested, was the idea, yeah. right? That's right. Yes. So it's funny because, first of all, it's like the best alarm clock I've ever had. <laughs> Thank Seriously, you. no, like the yeah. tones of this alarm clock. Well, were the tones? I need to know. I don't even know. It was just like ding, dong, ding, ding, ding. It was just very soothing. <laughs> but like, I find the tones on the iPhone to be incredibly annoying. They're just yeah. like great on me. Uh, but they're the, offensive. Yes, but the uh, the alarm in Zio is fantastic. It also tracked your sleep. It really did work. And I think about it because you guys were so right about something. Like no one was tracking their sleep back then. It wasn't even a thought. And now it's like every Apple Watch. Oh, you make sure you're tracking your sleep. And there's all these iPhone apps. There's like a giant business and industry. There's all these things now. And you're so, so right about this thing. And then the timing is just so hard. Do you do you think about that? Is it is it like, do you think about the timing of that as well in all of this? And, and how do you grapple with like timing? Yeah, so... I actually think, I mean, the timing on this, uh, Zio started in, you know, it was an idea in 2005 when I was graduating from college. It, you know, was a product that we released in 2009. So this is, you know, I do think it was early. And I don't think that's why the company ultimately wasn't successful. I think the the reason was, uh, it actually comes back to that emotional awareness, ability to listen to customers. You know, we had invented this technology that was a headband that measured sleep that you know, measured brainwaves to do that, that woke you up at the right time. That was the initial idea that we had while in college. And we invented this technology and it was really interesting and cool. And we had patents around and we sold investors on it. And so when we then learned when by putting this on people's heads and asking them to use it, that they did not want to wear a headband, yeah. we did not want to listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, so we were, we were actually quite right about people could use help falling asleep, staying asleep, working on sleep quality, measuring was an important component of that. But we were so stuck on this sort of one modality uh, that, you know, we couldn't see our way to a better product during the, you know, sort of lifespan of that company. That's wild. And then, I mean, I know that 10% Happier was initially called Change Collective, right? And then you you pivoted to 10% Happier. Was that an example of like actually just staying closer to customers and figuring out what they really wanted? Yeah, almost directly. So that when we started the next company, Change Collective, I actually started it with Derek Haswell, who worked with me at Zio. And we really wanted to take, you know, two things from Zio. One, we developed this passion around behavior change, you know, overall sort of how can you make your life better and how can you actively work on it? And so that was sort of the core of the idea. 
But the other thing that we brought from Zia was this orientation towards really deeply listening to customers and not sort of taking our own biases or technology or perspectives and just slamming those into the market. And so we actually sat down together as co-founders, iterated through two or three different ideas before coming up with Change Collective, which was a course platform where we worked with different sort of self-help authors, fitness, nutrition, productivity, meditation. And we launched eight courses on that platform before we launched 10% Happier. When we launched 10% Happier, it was very clearly the most interesting thing we'd done from a revenue perspective, from a sort of customer love perspective. Um, and I do think that there was, you know, maybe a one or two month period where we were had launched this incredible new course, 10% Happier, but we were going to stick with the original vision. You know, we were going to build this course platform. 10% Happier was going to be one of, you know, hundreds of courses. And it took listening really closely to our customers and hearing from them what they wanted. And the answer wasn't, I want a dozen more courses from Change Collective for all these areas of my life. It was, I want to go deeper on this meditation mindfulness journey. Can you help me do that? And how do you actually listen more closely to customers? Like, what was the signal that came through in this case that allowed you to see that when, you know, with Zio, people were saying, I don't want to wear a headband, and that somehow didn't make it through? Yeah, I mean, I think the research techniques and the listening techniques are fundamentally the same, right? It's gathering customer feedback, having conversations, doing market research. But the difference was whether we were listening or not. And at Zio, you know, the, the very specific, what was happening was we were hearing this feedback. I don't want to wear the headband. You know, this is uncomfortable. It looks weird. And instead of listening to that and saying, how can we achieve the mission of the company, helping people improve their sleep in a different way? I basically went into a fear state, right? The fear state was if people don't want to wear this headband, then all of this technology and patents and things we've sold investors on and all this development that we've done, all that's got to get trashed. And we have to start again. And, and who are we? And you know, what, where would we go? And that was just too much to hold emotionally. And it was easier to just push it away and say, you know, essentially the line that we would say is they'll love it once they use it, mm-hmm. right? We'll make it good enough and we'll make it comfortable enough that they're going to love it. They're saying now they don't want to, but we're going to convince them. That was an easier emotional move than wow, we got to take this feedback and really change what we're doing. It's funny hearing you talk about this because I actually did use it. (laughs) So I'm thinking to myself, like, am I the, I guess I was the exception of the rule on this one, that I was willing to, that I was willing to. love the headband. I love the headband. People would say it looked like like a spelunking light. Well, (laughs) (laughs) thank you. Uh, This is where listening to customers is actually so challenging because there were people who loved Zia. People who used it every night, people who collected the data, people who interpreted the data, people who loved the data quality of it. And so we chose to selectively listen to those people and believe that the market would move in that direction when, you know, the the larger group of customers, the ones that, you know, we didn't listen to because it was a little too confronting, they were just saying, I just want to sleep better. (laughs) I just want to fall asleep more quickly and have better sleep quality. And I don't really want to wear this headband in order to do that. And so, you know, it, that selective listening was part of the challenge. And, you know, looking back on it, the people who would wear it, that was just a small market of early adopters. It was folks who were, you know, quantified self-oriented, data-oriented, and that was not representative of this larger group of people who just wanted help falling asleep. And so when you pivoted towards everything towards 10% happier, was that a scary transition or not? 
incredibly scary. In fact, okay. you know, members of our board who were were and are incredibly supportive, they weren't so sure about it. Right? You know, I was getting feedback from you know my most important investors saying, you know, do you really want to move the company in this totally different direction? You know, add a co-founder to the business. That sounds really risky. We are not sure you should do that. And so we you know we had to override a lot of those types of challenges in order to make that transition. And was it tough to add a co-founder? I mean, that's not often done. Yeah, also very challenging, and, and particularly you know given that Dan is in the network news business, right? So he is an anchor on Good Morning America. You know, he works in New York. He has this whole other life and world. And so adding him as a co-founder, incorporating him into the business was sort of challenging on two levels, both adding a co-founder, you know, later in the business is always hard. And, you know, he was at this different life stage and a different career than Derek and I, who are working full-time on this and in a tech startup way. Yeah. I, I imagine that that was, I mean, obviously you look back on it and I'm going to guess you think, well, it's one of the best decisions we've ever made. Yes. Yes. But that it's like, of course, so terrifying to go through that process because everyone that's not, it's just anything that's not normally done, like most people just assume yep. is probably not normally done for good reason, even if it's not for good reason. It's like momentum working against you, right? Yeah. And in some ways, we were lucky that the change collective business was so clearly challenged. You know, if it had been going, you know, it was sort of, you know, working at like a three or four out of 10, it just wasn't working that well. There were some signals that it could have worked. And, you know, if we hadn't come up on 10% happier, you know, we might have made it a success. But if it had been succeeding at a five or a six, I think it would have been a lot more challenging to make that switch. So staring at Change Collective and saying, this really isn't working, we're going to need to make some major changes no matter what, did make it easier when 10% Happier really popped, when it was resonant with our internal mission to make that move. Drilling in on that is really interesting because so many people are stuck and having trouble trying to decide, is this about like being in the game long enough? Or is this about changing the game? And what advice would you give to somebody who is in the position where they have a change collective and they don't have a 10% happier? Yeah, I would say that you'd really want to look for two signals. One that's customer signal and one that's sort of internal. And I'll talk about the customer signal first. Um, you know, really what we saw was incredible passion from a small number of people you know, many people who tried the product at that early stage um, didn't like it or it didn't work for them for various reasons. But for those that used the initial 10% Happier course and loved it, you know, we heard from them, I've tried meditation before, it never really worked for me. This worked. They were repeating back to us, you know, phrases like respond, now react, and behind the waterfall, which Dan and Joseph used in that course. There was just a pull from those customers. They were asking for more. So even though it was a small number of them, and, and there were plenty of negative signals as well, there, there was so much enthusiasm and need from that core customer base that that signal was more important than anything else. Um, and then on the internal side, there was an alignment with meditation and mindfulness as a mission that was really strong within Derek and I. And so, you know, when I compared that and I, at that point I had been meditating for a year and a half and had made really important changes in my life. When I compared that to this larger sort of behavior change mission, it was more important and it was more personally resonant. And, and I felt more confident that I could spend decades of my life in that space. And so those two signals sort of combined to lead to a switch. People talk about, you should follow your passion. 
and do something you're passionate about and make that your business. And then I think there's also the other side of the coin of thinking about this, which is like, find the thing that's successful and then success will allow you to become passionate. When you look back on yourself and your interests when you were starting Change Collective, would you have picked out meditation as the thing you were passionate about? Or did that just work out that you realized, okay, this is going this direction. Actually, I do really care about this. Like, walk me through that. Because I think it's kind of amazing that you have this experience of doing Zio, having it not work, understanding that it's the emotional piece of it, getting it right in terms of this is something that people really want, transitioning over towards like everything with 10% happier, um, and then detangling this stuff. I think this is the stuff that gets people stuck. So how do you think about yeah. that? Yeah, so the I think the core that led to Zio, that led to Change Collective, that led to 10% Happier, was a, a developing an understanding that you can make meaningful change in your life that leads to much more happiness. And as a late teens, early 20s, when I was starting Zio, compared to five years later, five years later, five years later, you know, each of those check-in points for me, I've become, you know, a different person with, you know, more fulfillment, more happiness, less struggle in my life. That's, you know, still there's plenty of struggle and unhappiness, but each of those points has been a, a movement in that direction. And so the core was always there. I think what happened when I was exposed to mindfulness and meditation and the practices behind those that come from, uh, you know, Buddhist practice is I started to see a sort of deeper vein of wisdom that was even more transformative than what I would call sort of the behavior change life hack work that I'd done earlier in my life. But having started to use meditation, and that was really around the same time as I started Change Collective, and having started to meet some of these incredible teachers, spend time with them, it just started to feel like that modality of practice and orientation around mindfulness and meditation was a more powerful way for me and therefore transitively potentially for others to move in this direction of greater happiness. I mean, it's it's cool when those things align, right? You took 10% happier on as a potential course and then that became the whole business. That's pretty awesome. So let's talk about just like mindfulness in general is something, I mean, you talk about it evolving out of a Buddhist practice, but I, I think that people at least myself, I, that's not my first thought when I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I started meditating a few years ago. Actually, it was a Wistia Fest we had. And so there was a speaker and she was talking about marketing to different personality types. And she was describing the personality types. And she was describing someone who has a lot of anxiety. And as she was describing it, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like overstressing things and blah, all these things. I'm like, do I have anxiety? I had just like, it literally hit me like a ton of bricks because my my own personal narrative was that, of course, I don't have anxiety. Like, I'm strong. I'm successful. Like, I don't, this is not, a, I, this is not something I have. And it it, it came to, I came to grips with this, I, this fact that I actually think that maybe I did and that mindfulness could work. And it was this like catalyst moment and I started meditating every day and it, it had like a huge impact on me. But I think for for people who haven't done it, it can feel like, this mystical thing, or they just don't understand it. How would you describe it to someone who's never meditated or or tried to do mindfulness? And like, why should they try it? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll give my version of this answer. This is why we have Dan, the TV news anchor, as a co-founder, because he 
does this day in and day out, describes this to, to beginners. So, but I'll give a, a slightly more Ben and nuanced answer to it, which is that what mindfulness is about is actually at the core what most spiritual traditions and secular psychological traditions are about. And it's that understanding how you orient to whatever is happening is actually more important than what is happening to your health, your own happiness. And so if you can orient towards you know, the moment that you're in with awareness, compassion, you know, a warmth of sort of interest in what is occurring right now, that is actually the move that leads towards happiness much more reliably and sustainably than trying to control the conditions around your life to lead to positive experiences. And so that sort of nugget of mindful, kind awareness is, you know, at both at the core of med mindfulness meditation practice, but it's also at the core of what most sort of deeply wise humans and spiritual traditions have learned over millennia. And so it's just one doorway into that sort of direction in your life. Love that description. I feel like I've never heard it described that way. And I, I love thinking about like orienting to the way you approach things. How does that match up to the pandemic? We've been in this pandemic a year. Um, we can see, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel, which is amazing. But like, it's still quite stressful. How does it match up to the pandemic? How do we reorient in this moment? Yeah, I mean, one of the, I think, wonderful things about 10% Happier is that, you know, we're able to tap into these incredible teachers, you know, across the, you know, the country and the planet who have, you know, decades more experience than I do ex explaining this. And so we've, we've been able to do that. We have lots of content on YouTube, on the podcast, in the app, specifically meant to help someone orient towards what's happening in the world right now. And, and obviously the pandemic, you know, for the last year has been front and center for you know, many, if not most of us, um, you know, I think that, you know, what I'll sort of translate kind of what I've learned maybe from those teachers, when these teachers get on with Dan and start having a conversation, the, the interesting thing that first happens is he asks them how they're doing and almost universally, they talk about the suffering they're seeing in the world and are resonating with that and they're seeing it and want to help and they're doing okay even though the pandemic has upended their lives, you know, all of their retreat work that, you know, was in person has gone away. They're struggling financially. They're struggling in the same ways that we are with loneliness. You know, all of those things are still present for those teachers, but, you know, by dint of decades of practice, each of them in their own way is actually saying all of that is true. And the way I'm relating to it is with a broader perspective that, I'm going to be okay within this and we're going to be okay as a society, despite the pain that we're going through. And so that broader perspective, I think is what mindfulness and meditation can create both within your life. And then more broadly as a society, you know, we can kind of back this out and understand that, you know, there is an incredible amount of pain and suffering and we will get through this. And there will even be, you know, many silver linings that, you know, change the way that we work and we live and we relate that we can pay attention to during this challenging process. Are way more people signing up? Like, are more people meditating now than ever before? Like, do you think we'll end up with a calmer society? Yeah, so certainly the the numbers are both interesting and pretty jarring in terms of mental health. I, I can't quote directly because I don't have them in front of me, but anxiety, depression, loneliness, all of these are up across the population. 
you know, as a result of, of what's happened over the last year. Um, what we saw, you know, as a company is a huge surge in interest right when the pandemic hit through about June. And then we saw that kind of come back to, you know, sort of normal-ish levels and then start to rise again coming into the new year. Um, you know, what I think that represents and sort of looking forward a bit is that there's sort of two time periods when you're in crisis that you're looking for help. One is when you're in the crisis immediately, right? When you first hear that, you know, COVID is going to impact your life or that you've lost a job or, you know, there's a health issue in your family, there's an immediate need for support. I think actually the more interesting time period is once that trauma, that acute challenge is over, there's an opportunity to pause, reflect, and go into some form of sort of post-traumatic growth. And so my anticipation and, and what I hope we see, you know, as part of this pandemic is that that initial surge of interest will be repeated and will be more sustained as we come out of this and as folks, you know, go from this acute crisis period in which, you know, it is hard to focus it's hard to do anything, you know, in many cases other than care for family or kids or figure out your job. But coming out of this, as, as we stabilize, I anticipate that the understanding that mental health is important and that there are tools and practices that we can use to improve our mental health, I think that will maintain and that will, you know, surge forward as we come out of this. I'm just curious, because that arc that you were talking about, sort of like being in crisis and then interests like kind of dying down during June and then peaking again during the New Year's. Definitely, that's how I felt. Like my anxiety was way up and then kind of down, up again. Um, I'm wondering, like, I think people like quick fixes, right? And they're kind of looking for recipes, like how to get better fast. What do you say to those people? Like, is that what 10% happier is or is it a deeper commitment, I guess? Yeah, I think what I would say is there are ways to get a little bit better fast. And you should take advantage of those, right? Like taking a run or exercising will immediately boost your mood and your energy levels. Having good quality sleep, doing a five minute, you know, relaxing meditation. These are things that can shift you in the moment. And, you know, what we offer is a longer term path towards a, you know, understanding and a perspective of sort of who you are and how you orient towards the world that, can have more value over time so that when the next crisis hits, you have a little bit more space and perspective. It rocks you a little less, or you notice when it rocks you and you react less. That's the, the real sort of North Star for 10% happier and for mindfulness practice is this sort of slow accumulation of a deeper understanding of your mind and the world and how they interact that leads towards happiness. Wow. There's just a lot here. I feel like so many of us are dealing with so much stress and like, what are the tools that we use? And you've talked, you've talked through all of these. Are there other things that you think people should be doing that are like not on that list you just went through that can actually lead to a 10% or more happier life? Absolutely. Yeah. Meditation is one tool in, you know, a larger toolkit. It can be a really deep vein. Um, you know, therapy is a, another very deep vein. You know, I've worked with a therapist for many years. It's incredibly valuable. It's a different modality that is very complementary to mindfulness. There are physical movement practices like yoga that you know also play a deeply important role in mental health. Um, and you know the, the list I think goes on and on and on. Right? There's you know uh, plant medicine and and there's you know shamanic practices and there's drumming and there's dance and you know I think everyone can find a different doorway into practices that lead to 
more perspective, more mindfulness, you know, a better capacity to sort of be with whatever's happening in the moment. Are there any like secret beverages I should know about that like everyone's taking that are like the next thing? Quick fix, quick I, fix. I, I just couldn't tell you about that. <laughs> of course. Okay. Um, so <laughs> can't give away the product revenue. <laughs> What's one of the things that 10% Happier is doing today that you never would have imagined that, to be doing when you first started? You know, I think one major difference that COVID brought on for us is an understanding that we can create content that literally meets the moment that people are in right now. And starting with COVID, it was just such an obvious need that, you know, we we put down everything that we were, you know, building and we started building content that specifically met the moment and helped people cope with, you know, this, you know, pandemic that they were dealing with. But we then went you know, as we went forward, really every major news event and every major sort of ripple in the world, mm-hmm. we created content that was meant to meet that moment. So the social justice and racial protest movement in the summer, we created content that helped people understand and orient to that. The stress around, you know, the 2020 election, we created content around it. Um, so, you know, that orientation, which is almost a little newsy, right? Yeah. It's how, how do we bring mindfulness and meditation and, and that wellness perspective into what's happening in the world is something that I didn't think we'd be doing. And I don't see our competitors doing. I think it's a very both unique and useful part of the business that I I could not have foreseen. That's very cool. I mean, it makes sense, especially with your initial description of like giving you the tools to better relate to the world. I can see how with that, you're like, well, there are specific hard things that we're going through. So we're going to help you actually better relate to these specific things. Yeah. That's awesome. it can be essentially a doorway into that larger perspective on, oh, I can relate to all the hard things in my life a little differently. I can lean into them, understand them. That leads towards less suffering, more happiness. Uh, and by using what's happening for all of us at any given moment, we're just able to help more people move towards that perspective. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, the show is obviously called Talking Too Loud. And I've been told that I always talk too loud, especially when I'm excited. I cannot control the volume of my voice. I've you should been, have heard him talking about Zio. I was going you hopped nuts. on the call. I was going, nuts. I was absolutely screaming, going absolutely, <laughs> absolutely nuts. But, you know, one of the things we like to do on the show is like talk to people about what's got them talking too loud. Uh, so for you, what's got you talking yeah. too loud? What's got you going these days? Yeah, th- this will, this was going to relate back to mindfulness in a work context. Um, I have recently, both through mindfulness practice and sort of communication training and therapy, found a way to essentially notice when there's tension in a conversation. So if I'm in a conversation with a colleague and I'm feeling tension in my chest and my body, and you know, usually that is unexamined and comes across in frustration. It's, you know, I am frustrated with this person. This is not going well. I can sense it in my voice. And what I've noticed is that when I'm actually able to pause and then bring forth that tension into the conversation and say something like, Oh, I'm I'm feeling a little anxious about this because of this. It almost immediately dissolves the tension and helps us get to a more sort of useful place in a conversation. Um, and so this is something that I had heard about for a while, but actually seeing it in action in my own life has been fairly incredible in terms of the the results in everyday business conversations that just lead to better results. That's awesome. Do can that work in groups? Do you think that can work well with like a big group of people? Absolutely. And I think as a leader, if you can model that behavior, it gives people permission to, you know, bring what's happening for them internally 
into the conversation rather than keeping it sort of trying to keep a lid on it or, or letting it impact the way the conversation is flowing without being examined. What about with family? You think that'll work with family? I was just going to say, who do you have in mind there? You're, you're giggling, you're smirking. No, I was sitting with some of my family and noticing some tension. When you said that, that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, could I have actually brought this up in that moment? Yeah, I think it's really just you need to adjust the language for the audience, right? And so if I'm in a conversation with a co-founder that, you know, we've worked together for a dozen years, we each have this base of mindfulness practice, you can talk about it in a very direct way. You know, whereas with your family, you know, you might say like, huh, you know, I'm noticing that we're both a bit frustrated right now. Like, is it worth stepping back? And, you know, seeing where that's coming from, you know, for me, it's this thing. Um, I think it's quite possible in really any conversation. One of the things that one of our teachers, Oren J. Sofer, said that really sticks with me is that you only need one good communicator in a conversation for it to go well. And yeah, (laughs) and it's like, it's a hard thing to believe and I still don't fully believe it. I don't believe it. (laughs) And, you know, I've, I've also seen it be largely true Mm -hmm. that, you know, when I'm able to show up and be really in the conversation, capable of understanding what's going on for me, attuned to what's happening for the other person, you know, that conversation goes well, even if the other person isn't necessarily showing up in the same way. Um, Ben, Mm -hmm. this is, this is ridiculous. This is great. Can I ask one more more question? I I just had one more. Um, so you talked a little bit about how uh, how you're using mindfulness in sort of your conversations with other business partners, leaders. Do you feel like now that you're deeper into a mindfulness practice, it's changed the way that you are running your company? Yes, massively, right? This sort of move around understanding what's going on in the conversation and then essentially popping up and having a conversation around the conversation is something that we're now trying to, you know, create learning structures within the business and permission structures to enable that. So we're doing right now, when we create a change collective, we articulated the company's values, but that was in 2014 and it was Derek and I sitting in a room and it was a different company. And so we're now re-articulating, you know, what are the values for 10% happier? And, you know, some of those elements that I've grown personally around and that I see in my colleagues you know, with incredible skill, we're baking those into the values, which will be then baked into hiring processes and onboarding and development and all these touch points within the company so that we are giving each other permission to give each other that type of feedback, to have, you know, uh, a space that, you know, there's an understanding that we care about each other and are able to have these conversations at work. That's awesome. That's Um, very cool. I feel like this episode could almost be called Talking to Chill. I feel like then you have this like aura about you when you're talking that's like meditative. And I'm just, it I'm is. in it right now. I am so in it. Um, We're both hypnotized. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 10 years ago, you would have, you know, met me. I mean, you did meet me then and I was a pretty angry young man. So I think uh, some of this is working. It's working. Um, look, really appreciate you coming on the show today. This is an absolute blast. Um, and, uh, Keep being you. Keep keep yeah. doing what you're doing. Can't wait to see where how far uh, and where you take 10% happier. Yeah, looking forward to meeting up in person in a day not too soon from now. I think we'll, we'll be able wait. to meet up, have a coffee, have a beer, you know, be post-pandemic. We're going to do A couple months. It. Okay. See you, All dude. Right. Bye. See ya.
Man, Ben is so chill and everything. That was he a good about. line, Savage. Yeah. Talking too chill. Talking too chill. You like that? I did like that. That was a that was a good one. <laughs> um, but I do think it was I love how everything in Ben's life, like going back at all, just makes sense. Like it just fits so nicely of like, okay, he's talking about trying to do things to improve his emotional state and his life. And like, that's the thing that broke his first company. That's his whole second company. And then it finds its way to meditation. And then he takes some big risks. And then that, you know, literally gets back to, okay, we're trying to help people relate better to the world, sleep better, all of these. It's like so full circle. And it all makes sense. Where at the beginning, I'm sure it felt horrible when when Zio died. Yeah. Right? And so... It's just cool to see that arc play out. And I'm excited for where his arc goes, for what he does next. Yeah, there was a whole like mind-body business connection that was happening there. I also, okay, I had an idea. Okay. Is this crazy? So, I, you know what? I'm new to the, the B2B space, right? Mm-hmm. But Wistia is the B2B space. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like thinking, you know, 10% happier is geared towards the individual. But mm-hmm. what if... There was a little B2B department that helped businesses incorporate mindfulness into their workspaces. Because he was talking about how, like, it actually informs the way he runs the company. Yes. Yeah. You mean basically, like, how it becomes part of a culture. Yes. Yes. At a a work culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny because when he was talking about that, what I was thinking about is, you know, we've evolved our values over time and to trying to, as, as the company's evolved and the strategy shifted, you know, you, you want your value, values to match the strategy. And so really what he was saying there is like, their, their work culture is going to incorporate mindfulness into it. And that's going to hope, hopefully, I would think like build more resilience mm-hmm. and be able to handle more change. Um, and also be better communicators. Yeah. And I I would bet that like, it's funny, those are not the exact values I would use to describe Wistia, but there's a lot of stuff that's similar in, in terms of how we talk um, and try to get to the the truth on things. And, you know, but like in our case, we're, we're optimizing in many cases for um, creative problem solving. Not to say that he's not, but like a lot of our values are set up around that. And that makes sense for our business. And it makes sense for their business as a meditation company. Like they, if everyone is not acting and living those values, um, it's not going to work. So you have to, you have to get that alignment in there. And yeah, it's, it's cool. And it's an intro. I need to think more about like how much should we prioritize that or not, but you know, having really open and honest communications, making sure that everyone's like emotionally in a good place is obviously critically important to, to building something that is trying to be lasting, trying to be important. 100%. It also made me want to try some meditation. I'm, I haven't, I haven't, yeah, I haven't really done it. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. I am a skeptic. I may, so maybe 10% happier is exact, like I'm the ideal, yeah. I'm the ideal user because I'm totally a skeptic. I'm like, no, not my brain. Not going to work in my brain. But maybe, maybe. You should try it. You totally should. All right. I'm going to. Okay, good. Great. Great. Well, you try that. We'll check in on how your meditation practice is going uh, next time we chat. And everyone at home, we hope uh, you check it out too. Check out 10% Happier. Check Check out out. Wistia. 
com. Oh, more segues. Thanks, Sylvia. Yes. Series. Yep. Check out everything that Wistia Studios is doing. Make sure we want your feedback. So please give us your feedback. Please rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to the podcast. Send us an email at ttlpod at wistia.com. Um, if you write something really funny or inflammatory, you may make it on the show. Um, and uh, You always say inflammatory. A- like, what are you encouraging here? What? I don't know. I think I just want people to take their guard down. I want to hear the truth, you know? You so can't handle has- the truth. Speaking of that line, I'm sorry. That line was improvised. <laughs> Did you know that? Jack Nicholson improvised that line. Oh, really? Yeah, just just saying. I didn't know that. That's I great. know that's neither here nor there, and and that's okay. Okay. And that's how we so end our this? show. Okay, so okay, now a hand signal. Yep, and we wave goodbye. <laughs> that's it. Show's over. Show's okay? over, folks. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Jarrett Floyd. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com. <laughs>